Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to update you guys that we just announced Starting Small Summit 2024. We launched Starting Small Summit in 2022 with an amazing panel of founders. We flew in for a live event that carried on to 2023, and now we're excited to do our third annual event this year in the Midwest. So make sure to click the link in this description so you can find more information on that and find more about our speakers and enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Karone Prochan of Simply, a natural confections brand making gum, mints, dark chocolate date bars, and fruit bites. So typically with direct-to-consumer food and beverage brands, you'll find companies having a 3PL or a co-manufacturer who makes their products outsourced, but Simply makes it all in-house with their own factory. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Karone Prochan of Simply. Karone, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Cameron, for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Um, Where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? So I grew up in San Francisco and uh, I'd say my childhood was relatively uneventful. Um, I think that um, though being in the Bay Area was, I think, relevant in terms of sort of shaping me to have that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm. Um, I grew up in kind of the heyday of that first dot-com boom when everyone was starting companies. And so that did stick with me. Um, You know, I think that's when I started realizing that this was a thing that people did. You know, before that, I had always just wanted to be a lawyer or doctor because that was what my mother told me to do. And I didn't really um, have exposure to more than that. Uh, So it was really kind of later in high school, seeing what was going on around me in San Francisco. And then once I got to college, of course, where my horizons started expanding. Mm. So growing up, what would you say some of your interests were? Were you involved with athletics or entrepreneurship, anything like that growing up? Um, no, I really wasn't. I mean, I was very studious. Yeah. Uh, I was you know, raised by a tiger mother, so I had that instilled in me. Um, it was all about getting the good grades and studying. So um, you know, I was a good student. Uh, and... <clears throat> And I was very interested in law because for a long time, I thought that's what I wanted to do. So mm. I interned at a law firm in San Francisco. I did mock trial. Um, and uh, and that's what I thought my path was going to be. Mm. Yeah. So where, where did you end up studying? Did you get into law? Where did you go? Kind of walk us through yeah, that. So from there, I went to Wellesley undergrad. So I went to the East Coast. Yep. And... Um, I majored in political science because, again, kind of going along with that law theme, thought I was going to take the LSATs and, and go to law school. Yeah. But it was at Wellesley that I started um, learning about other kinds of occupations and careers. And, of course, business was one thing. Uh, and so sort of delved into that and ended up after college doing one of those standard investment banking analyst programs in New York. Mm. I'd always wanted to live in New York, so um, it was a way for me to get there and experience that. Um, So that is what I did Mm. and quickly realized that was not for me. (laughs) Um, You know, as as much as it was a great opportunity, I think that um, investment banking was was not my calling. But that's what everyone did back then. It was either investment banking or consulting. And I very much followed the herd. And I think that was one of the things that characterized those early years. When I look back, I was very much about following the herd. I think that I didn't really have the courage to go off and do my own thing at that point. Um, Mm. Because even though I had this entrepreneurial spirit, I was still sort of struggling with 
um, you know, doing what was expected of me in terms of what my mother wanted and yeah. um, and how I raised, and um, and then doing that kind of traditional, that more traditional path of going into finance, working at a company, mm. and so forth. Um, but anyway, did the investment banking, worked also a strategy at another company, um, a, a hotel company, and then from there I decided to go to business school. Uh, yeah, and how, how long was the span here, if you can kind of explain? Yeah, so I worked for three years. Okay. And then I uh, went to business school, went back to Boston, mm -hmm. went to Harvard, and um, I had a great time there. Uh, and from there started, you know, still, was still very much following the herd. Yeah. You know, and, and I graduated a long time ago, and so <laughs> it was before people were starting their own companies. Now, of course, that's the thing to do, and, mm. and everyone, you know, over the past decade went to tech, but this was when, even then, finance was still the thing. Yeah. And so after business school, I went to real estate finance, tried that out, still wasn't loving it. And then finally, um, I think, you know, three or four years out, decided to try to start my own company. It was really only then that mm. I had that courage after I kind of had this career and had that experience then kind of felt like, okay, this is, this is the time to do it. For so, sure. um, you know, I had always been to natural products and, uh, the idea just, it sort of came to me, um, as these things do one day, uh, when I sort of looked around and saw that everything around me was, was natural. You know, I started doing natural, I was, I was using natural hair care products and beauty products. I was eating more natural foods. I was using natural cleaning products. Mm. Um, and yet I was chewing not so natural gum. Yeah. And so I started thinking about like, wait, why isn't there a natural gum on the market when you have natural cookies and natural sodas and natural chips? Why is there no natural option in chewing gum? Yeah. And I started doing more research and found out that um, indeed, regular chewing gum is totally synthetic. Mm. It's actually filled of a plastic base. So you are literally chewing on a piece of plastic when you chew chewing gum. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, you have all these artificial sweeteners thrown in, artificial preservatives. Uh, and so it's a highly synthetic product. Mm. And I was looking for a natural alternative and could not find one. It just didn't exist. Yeah. So that's when I realized, hey there might be a business idea here because it seems like a really interesting opportunity, like this big void. No one's gotten into this. Yeah. Um, so that's when it all kind of happened. And I started doing more research, learned about the industry, which is really interesting because there were only two major players. Mm. It was kind of a duopoly. Um, interesting. No independent companies, no startups in the space. Uh, and so that was really the beginning of the wow. journey. Wow. Yeah, kind of walk us through because you did all this research. Walk us through like the formulating yeah. process and the R and D. Was yeah. this with yourself? Like, did you have some scientists formulators? What was that like? So I did it myself, mm -hmm. and I do not have any sort of food or cooking background. Um, so it was a bit crazy, but <laughs> I just started whipping up batches of gum in my kitchen. So I was living in New York at the time, and um, what I discovered was that prior to gum being made of plastic. It had actually used to be made of a tree sap mm. called chicle. And so I ordered some chicle and I basically started reverse engineering chewing gum using chicle as its base. Wow. And then instead of the artificial sweeteners, I was using natural organic cane sugar. Mm. Instead of artificial flavors, I started using 
essential peppermint oil and cinnamon oil. So basically remaking gum in a totally natural way wow. with ingredients that you could find in your grocery store, mm -hmm. um, except for that tree sap. <laughs> and, uh, and, and using, you know, and, and just cooking it up in my kitchen, not in a chemistry lab. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did for, it took over a year really to formulate that recipe. Wow. Um, whipped up hundreds and hundreds of batches in my kitchen and then finally came up with a formula that I liked mm. um, and that worked. And so from there, I uh, came up with the packaging and the branding and the boxes and all of that. As you know, it's a, it's a big journey to have to do all of that work sure. as well. I really didn't know a lot about consumer products, um, <laughs> but managed to come up with this beautiful sort of designed package. Yeah. You know, gum up at that point had been also very low end. So not only was it synthetic plastic, but it was also very mass, very low end. Yeah. There was nothing that felt premium. And so I uh, wanted to come up with something that was elevated and that felt high end. And so that's what I did. Mm. Uh, I came up with this really beautiful white box, a very elegantly designed package. And um, from there, I started taking it door to door in New York. Wow. So yeah, at this point, were you making directly selling yourself or did you find a co-packer early on or how did the production look like? Production was in my kitchen at this point. Yeah. So I was literally hand making it and then packing it by hand and taking it to wow. stores in New York. And uh, the very first store that uh, took us was actually the Whole Foods at Columbus Circle. Mm. So went in there and pitched it, and it was a long process. This was back when you could do that. I think now Whole Foods probably doesn't let you go to individual stores and do this, yeah. but back then you could. <laughs> and so got the local buyer at this Columbus Circle store to take the product, and I remember the very first delivery, you know, walking over with my 20 packs of gum and a little, you know, paper bag and <laughs> hand delivering it to them, uh, which they were <laughs> not prepared for because <laughs> usually all the deliveries come in, you know, on the receiving in these big, massive trucks from these distributors. And uh, <laughs> they certainly were not expecting me to hand walk in 20 packs of gum. Yeah, but that's that's what I did and put it out on the shelf. And it started selling and it started selling really quickly. And that's when I realized that, okay, there's something here. So from mm. there, I uh, started taking it to all the other Whole Foods in New York, door by door and other stores uh, within New York, the independent stores. And so really built the business ground up door by door. Yeah. So it sounds like you kind of really launched in Whole Foods and door to door. Did you launch e-commerce like online at all at this point or did that come later? <clears throat> That's a great question. Um, I did launch online and actually Amazon does play a key part mm. in this story as well because I launched on Amazon very early on. Yeah. And people don't realize that Amazon's a marketplace, but it is. And so anyone can just put up a storefront and sell their wares. And that's what I did. I just put up a storefront and started selling the gum mm -hmm. and, uh, and it started doing really well on Amazon. Um, and so that also kind of gave me that confidence, like, okay, something, something's really here. Yeah. Uh, so just continued growing it like that and, um, hired my first employee at that point. Mm. What, what was that role? And he didn't know anything about food either, but mm. he would come over and come to my apartment and help me pack the little oh, okay. packs of gum and he would 
walk them door to door throughout the city as well to hand deliver them to all the small um, independent stores that we were selling to at the time. Um, and so it was really just bootstrapping and a hustle. Yeah, for sure. I love it. So I'm curious out of like a, creating a product with an age long industry like gum, a lot of people are uneducated at this point. How, yeah. what, how did the marketing look um, to convince consumers on that point? So at the beginning, um, really did very little marketing. Yeah. Didn't have money to do marketing. Um, and so the marketing I always say was really that beautiful package. So it was something that stood out on shelf. So if you saw this pack at Whole Foods, you're going to be interested in it. You're going to pick it up. You're going to look at it. It was, you know, very minimal. Um, and it signifies that the product inside is clean because mm -hmm. the exterior is so clean. Yeah. Um, so that was our primary form of marketing. It was getting in the right doors and getting the right placement in those doors so that the product was visible to mm -hmm. everyone who walked in the store. Yeah. Um, you know, someone once told me that being at that front end of Whole Foods is like having an ad in the New York Times. Yeah. Because it's that demographic that's that's looking at this when they're going shopping. And so um, that's pretty much what our marketing was like mm -hmm. in those days. It was just getting the right placement at the right store. Now, in addition, we did start experimenting with Amazon ads. Mm. So instead of Google ads directed towards our own site, we would do Amazon ads on Amazon. Mm. And... Um, and we've done those ever since. And those have proved to be quite profitable for us. Yeah. Uh, people go on Amazon to shop. And so the conversion is high. If someone types in gum, you know, that means they want to buy gum. Yeah. So, uh, so that was something we did in terms of paid marketing mm. early on. And in those days also, we did benefit from a lot of organic press. So yeah. people started seeing the product. Um, we started getting a lot of inbound interest from editors and different publications who want to write about us. So we did benefit from that as well. I hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Carone's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Babook, the wool footwear brand that redefines comfort and style. Beyond much of their success, Babook is committed to sustainability. After the 2015 Nepal earthquake, they established a factory fostering positive socioeconomic impact. Their commitment extends to being a B Corp certified company. With quality at its core, from crafting slippers in a kitchen to winning the ISPO gold in 2017, Babook's footwear is not just cozy and colorful, but responsibly made and thoughtfully designed. Today, with employees on three continents, Babook invites you to step in the world where comfort meets adventure. I personally have their sky woolers in white, and wow, they're so comfortable, look great, and go with any outfit. I highly recommend checking them out, and make sure to go to us.babook.com. The link's in this description. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. So at what point did product expansion come? So fast growth in the gum. And then I know next product was mints. What, what kind of led you in yes. that direction? So after a while in gum, mm -hmm. um, you know, realized that we had a brand that could extend into other categories. Yeah. And uh, you think of gum as being breath freshening. The next logical extension, of course, is mints. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew that our customers were interested in mints. And so that was our first product extension. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was so adjacent and so natural. And so that went really well. And so um, we did start selling mints, you know, probably, yeah, three to four years, okay. maybe three to maybe three years after our first gum launch. Yep. Um, and most recently, though, we've embarked on a more broad expansion strategy. So over the past couple of years, um, 
again, saw how well the gum was doing, how well the mints were doing, and then um, decided to get into other confections categories as well. So mm-hmm. we now have a line of fruit gummies, and we also have a line of chocolate candy bars that are made from dates. Amazing. And, um, and you know, all of these are basically all have the common thread of being made with unusually simple ingredients, which yep. is what we stand for. And, um, and we're now really excited about seeing how these new products do. So the candy bars, we just launched them at Erwan. Awesome. In LA, that grocer that everyone's talking about yep. uh, a few months ago. And they're now the top selling candy at Erwan. Wow. Um, so that was great data to see. And so we're really excited about the prospects for those candy bars. And we continue to have a lot of interesting ideas in our R&D pipeline. Mm-hmm. We're super excited about this expansion. And actually our name, which at the beginning of the time, uh, beginning of the company was Simply Gum, is yeah. now Simply. So we've dropped the gum. I love and it. we're now calling ourselves Simply. I love it. Yeah, so w- with the marketing and kind of feedback you guys have received now, um, what would you say is the main demographic overall? I know it's a universal product, but what would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, I think our main demographic, it's really people who are interested in health and wellness. Mm. Um, you know, obviously the people who are not interested in health and wellness would likely go for a cheaper product, um, the more conventional products. So it is someone who's willing to spend an extra dollar or two on a product that is better for them. Yeah. Um, so I'd say that's our main demographic. You know, mm-hmm. our ingredients are very high quality. They're very simple. We only put what's needed. They're all made from real ingredients. Uh, and so the people who are drawn to that are, you know, any, I'd say, yeah, but of course, baby boomers, Gen X, and, um, and now starting to kind of be the Gen, Gen, Gen Y and Gen Z too. Yep. Um, so, uh, it's people who care about their well-being. Mm-hmm. For sure. Talking on kind of the, the internal team process here, as you guys began to grow, uh, I know you mentioned that hire that went door to door with you, but what were some of those critical hires would you say that kind of brought your, brought the company to the next level? Yes. Well, <clears throat> after that first hire, who was kind of a jack of all trades mm-hmm. and my right hand man, um, we, uh, then moved into our own manufacturing facility. So outgrew my apartment and needed to create our own factory. Uh, we never used to co-man. And so, um, that next hire was our factory manager. And so he was really important because he, (laughs) he helped us kind of make, you know, make the gum essentially. Mm -hmm. And by the way, he also didn't have any background in this. So it was a bunch of (laughs) of, of first timers, um, the blind leading the blind, if you will. And so, uh, we, um, yeah, but we just figured it out. And so he, um, he was in charge of making the gum and that was really important because without Mm. the gum, without the product, obviously there's nothing to sell. Uh, so that was a key hire. And I think to this day that manufacturing, um, you know, we are first and foremost a manufacturer. We have yeah. now a, a large facility in Brooklyn where we make all of our gum. We've created over 40 jobs there. Wow. A good manufacturing jobs um, right right there in Brooklyn. And so that's something that we're very proud of. And, um, and that's at the heart of what we do. And so um, all of our factory workers and the people who have led our plant are, are really important and really key mm. to our operation. For sure. Um, Additionally, you know, of course, 
we now have a head of sales and a head of marketing. I mean, we've now filled in the rest of our team yep. and those hires uh, have been really crucial too. Sales, of course, is the lifeblood as well. You've mm. got to be selling and you've got to be, um, you know, getting the product out there. On the marketing front, we now do have money to spend on marketing. So we have been doing uh, more of that now as we've gotten larger. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah, so we now, we now are a real team. I love it. I feel like it's really rare to find a lot of like internal manufacturing these days, especially in food and yes. beverage. So if you don't mind, like kind of share, like what does that experience look like when you guys bring in a new product? So the chocolate, the gummies, what does that look yes. like within internal process? Yes. So we do all of our own R&D and uh, we do now have an internal R&D person. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's intense. It's a lot of work. So yeah. I, you know, to your point, I feel like a lot of, food and beverage companies are just really sales organizations. Um, yeah. You know, they they get the product somewhere else and then they just have a little team where they go and sell it and that's that. Mm -hmm. And I always think, oh, that would be so easy. But uh, <laughs> we chose the harder route, which ultimately I think is going to be the better route. Um, and we do do this ourselves. It comes with a, a whole host of headaches, but mm. co-manufacturing also comes with a set of headaches. For sure. So, um, you know, so... We, we've, we've, we've hung in there and we've, we've really, I think, um, created something special now. So with our R&D process, we do do it in-house. Everyone gets involved. We come up with all kinds of crazy ideas and then we test them. Um, we create our own prototypes mm. with our new items. Those, though, we are now using co-manufacturers just because we don't have the capacity in-house to have a gummy factory and yeah. a chocolate factory and the gum factories. So I see. The new products, we are now outsourcing the production of those. Mm -hmm. um, so we're a hybrid. We deal yeah. with co-manufacturers. We do our own manufacturing. And so we've seen it all. Mm -hmm. For sure. So being a uh, retail and also uh, D2C, what would you say percentage-wise sales are you seeing uh, online versus? Yeah, it's about 80-20 okay. in terms of brick and mortar and uh, in our online, yeah. which includes Amazon. Yep as well as our own uh, direct website. So, uh, and I think that, um, you know, of course we, we always try to increase our, our online um, channel, but we're really trying to increase our brick and mortar channel as well yeah. um, because there are obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of doors out there and we want to be everywhere. So For sure. uh, that is our goal. So we continue mm -hmm. to really aggressively push. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amazing. For the listeners out there uh, on the side of retail, what would you say regionally are you guys more saturated focused in what kind of retailers as well well so we started out um very much in the natural and independent channel so the whole foods of the world the sprouts of the world the independent um mom and pops but more recently we have now expanded to the larger conventional stores which we're really excited about so we're now yeah. in target we're now in walmart awesome. uh, and we do see our future um, as very much being, you know, growing within those channels. Yeah. Uh, eventually, we'll be in C store as well, convenience stores. So awesome. We we you know we we want to be everywhere, but yes, we have definitely pushed now into the more large conventional formats. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, Corone, I like to uh, conclude each episode with this, um, especially with your journey so far. If you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along the way. What would you say that would be? Yeah, I, mean, I think for me, it's really that you can start small. You know, I think that people have this notion that they need to raise a ton of capital and really go big at the beginning. 
But as you know, you can see from my own journey, yeah. I started very small. It was literally in my kitchen. I had an idea. I made a prototype. And I just started walking that prototype out to stores. You can start as small as that. If you think of something, a product, whatever it is, just take it out there. Get it out there. Show people. Take it to a few stores. Sell it in and see if it moves. Mm. And if it doesn't sell, then that's really great information to have. If it does, then you're on your way. So um, I think that starting small is okay. And people need to realize that. Amazing. I love it. Well, Karan, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. And for the listeners out there, make sure to check out Simply at simplygum.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.